Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir, as we mean weekly. This week Shabbos Pashas Kairach. Kairach, Kairach, Kairach. What was he thinking? The Shabbos on the calendar date is, as we all know, Gimel Tammuz, the third day of the month of Tammuz. Today is Rishchidosh Tammuz. A lot to talk about. More importantly, focus on a date. On a date that has more significance than any other this week. Welcome back, Atlanta, Georgia, to our Skype. Is the date of Chavches Sivan, 28th day of the month of Sivan, <coughs> a day of a new beginning, a day of a new era, a day which the Fidik Rebbe, the previous Babich Rebbe, referred to as the arrival of Mashiach. On this date, we finally saw the miracles that actually transpired throughout the World War II for the many years, the running, persecution, etc., as the Rebbe and the Rebetzin arrived here in America. Delegations, special delegations, the Friedrich Rebbe sent special people to greet the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, The Rebbe did not take on jet lag mode after this journey on a ship for so long, etc. The long, tedious journey. The Rebbe did not sit back and say, okay, here I am, the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe, the son-in-law of the Rebbe. Therefore, the honors that are being given to me are, of course, well-reserved nor did he stand on his laurels, nor did he ask for a good vacation, nor did he ask for special foods. The Rebbe immediately threw himself into Avedis Aklal, the work, what he could possibly do to help fellow Jews. Although the Rebbe held a physical job, a paying job in the Navy Yard, they worked on the USS Trident, I understand, if that's what it's called, a submarine, which they ever helped develop, or developed. It is said that ever also has the pat- patent on rounding of pearls. The pearl that comes out of an oyster does not become, not come out round. It needs to be rounded off, rounded out. This patent belongs to the Rebbe. 
the Rebbe didn't be, didn't become one with the Chassidim. The Rebbe became an entity of the Chassidim. The Rebbe, as the Rebbe referred to him, belonged to the Chassidim. And so when we hear stories, miracle stories that the Rebbe has performed, people that were helped, people that were saved, children that were born, people that were married, all these stories that sound so miraculous, the hours and the hours that ever sat reading letters, giving blessings, standing on the ale in the gravesite of his father-in-law, standing for hours on end, praying and beseeching on people's behalfs. None of this, said the Rebbe, was something that was out of the ordinary. This was the Rebbe. Not this was his job, not this was his nature, not that this was or is, this is the Rebbe. And this, till today therefore, this same, very same legacy lives on. And therefore, when we refer to the Rebbe, when we express ourselves to the Rebbe, when we go to the ale, or whether we dive it in 770, when you ask the Rebbe to still today, in 5776, you ask the Rebbe to intercede on your behalf, because the Rebbe is the Rebbe, that is still a viable request. Because the Rebbe is a faithful shepherd that does not forsake his flock. And therefore, the Rebbe not just lives on in our deeds, not just lives on in by us going out and mitzayim, putting on tefillin on a person, not just by seeing to it that a woman lights Shabbos candles, not just seeing to it that a woman goes to the mikvah when she needs to, or any of the other mitzayim that the Rebbe instituted, whether it be mezuzah, kashras, or anything else. Not just through that do we live Rebbe, do we give the Rebbe's legacy credence, power to live on, to persevere. The fact that the Rebbe is the Rebbe. And we don't even say the Rebbe is our Rebbe. The Rebbe is the Rebbe. This past Shabbos, a very famous, famous personality passed away. A man that made himself a name, that made himself an existence, that made himself a legacy in his own right. A writer, a speaker, a genuine person. Abeliezer Eli Weisel. Nobel Peace Prize winner. I'm not eulogizing Eli Weisel tonight, I'm sorry. He may deserve it, may not. Why not? He was a survivor. He was in Buchenwald finally. 
he was liberated from Buchenwald side by side with Rabbi Lau and his brother. He was a little boy. He was only 14, 15 years old at the time. He was a man that had a message. The message Eli Weizel carried was Hashem Hua Aleikim. God is our God. God is the God. And therefore, no matter what evil one experiences, no matter what evil one is subjected to throughout their lifetime, A small spark of light drives away the deep depths of darkness. And therefore, Eli Wiesel taught not just a lesson to his children, his family, a lesson worldwide to each and every one of us. That yes, we all have our times where, God forbid, we go through some trial, tribulation, hurt, pain, whatever it might be. There is a God. We need to believe that God can help us overcome this, for almost forgive this, but most importantly, to persevere in our lives, to put it behind us, to bury it. And even almost to bury the hatred that we have towards the person that caused this damage, that caused this hurt to us. Can we excuse the atrocities that took place during World War II? Can we find any good, any good whatsoever? In the Eichmann, in the Mengele, in Hitler, you'd have to be a magician to pull it out of your hat. But these people represented evil. They represented Klippa. They represented the side of the world that needed to keep a certain balance. The Alter Rebbe was not keen, the first Chabad Rebbe was not keen on Napoleon's victory. The reason that we explained once, the reason he was not keen, and he was actually, had sent, planted spies, his own Hasidim, in Napoleon's camp, to topple Napoleon was because he felt that too much freedom was not healthy either. Jews need to be reminded every so often. And unfortunately, we get reminded way too often. Anti-Semitism, hatred, blame for who knows what. A recent incident, and I don't remember where it is, I don't know if it was in Israel or not, I don't believe it was Israel. It was a European country where an anti-Semite was harassing 
his Jewish neighbor, a woman. He was literally making her life miserable. And when she complained and complained and it was discovered that indeed he was doing this, they made her move away. They made her move. Mind-boggling. One needs to have that certain mysterious nefesh that certain abnegation where they say to themselves and they feel truthfully that I need to accept what God gives. I need to accept it, not just accept it, accept it with love and with open arms. It is extremely, extremely trying and difficult. There are so many horrific things that happen to people that they really need to figure out why did this happen to me? Why did this person do this to me? But Hashem is watching. And the reward is many, many fold more than the pain that one is going through when one goes and overcomes this pain. very interesting story surfaced recently that ever received once a letter from a woman and with the letter was $5,000 let's not tell the IRS about this it was cash and she wrote to the letter a letter as follows she's an American girl her husband's an American boy they have, can I know, a large family of children. And being having a large family of children, they're struggling financially. And always have struggled financially. The woman writes that recently someone decided or remembered that they owed her $5,000. So they sent her the $5,000. She writes, Rebbe, I struggled all my life, but it's my belief and my love to God that helped me persevere, that helped me overcome all that I've been suffering. This $5,000 I can do with, but I can do without. I will continue living the way I live, and I'd rather give the $5,000 to Tzedakah. And the Rebbe cried and said, it's not a Russian, an oppressed child that came from a country, a third world country, that suffered, and that was persecuted and never had and never and knew what it means to do mysterious nefesh. No. It was an American-born child who always saw freedom, happiness, joy. And she taught us true mysterious nefesh. Kerach 
Where was your serious nefesh? Turn to his dumb happy. Kerach could not understand Maduat is not so alcohol Hashem. Why Moshe? Why Aaron? I have the same lineage. I come from the same stock. And ultimately, his descendants were just as, if not greater. Such a great person. And yet to make such a grave mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu was left with this horrific task of responding. Kerach came taunting and asked several questions. Talus kulet chelis. Does it need tzitzis? A talus that is all made of the purple wool. Does it need tzitzis? A bayis moli svarim tzirich mezuzah. A house full of svarim. Does it need a mezuzah? Taunting, asking questions, just to make them a question. Kerach now is confronting Moshe. Vayedaber al Kerach tells us in the beginning of the parsha, chapter sixteen, verse hey, verse five. You will know. God will let know what is His, according to Chassidus. This is explained. Baker v'yeda Hashem. With this statement, Moshe nullifies the entire argument of Kerach and his crowd. Note, by the way, whenever this argument, whenever this situation is referred to, it's referred to Machlekes Kerach v'Adosei, Kerach and his tribe and his peoples. Now it's not Kerach v'chaverov. The way the wording is said, it sounds like within them there was inner strife. Kerach v'adosei, not Kerach and Moshe Rabbeinu. The fight wasn't between Kerach and Moshe. The fight was Kerach v'adosei. The taina of Kerach, as we said before, ki chaleida kulam kedeshim. We are all holy people. Umaduat is not salakal Hashem. Why are you risen? Why are you rising up higher? Now let's call a spade a spade. Kerach. Didn't you see Moshe Rabbeinu go up on the Hasinai? Did you not see him go up three times, forty days, and forty nights? 
Did you not see Moshe Rabbeinu split the Red Sea? Did you not see Moshe bring the plagues upon the Egyptians and take us out of Egypt? Exaggerating here. Everyone knew how great Moshe was. Spiritually, physically. And yet, who was it? And yet, he comes and says, Why? What are you greater? Because Hamaisa Hua Iker, Pirkeovis, Pedic Aleph, Mishnah Yudzayin, first chapter of Pirkeovis, chapter of our fathers, the 17th Mishnah. When it comes to doing mitzvahs, each and every Jew is equal. Everyone has the same. There's no difference how you're going to do the mitzvahs. If it's done through Moshe Rabbeinu or the simplest of Jews. When you take out the tefillin from the bag and you wrap that tefillin on your head and your arm, there's no difference who's doing the mitzvah. It's the mitzvah of putting on tefillin. Everyone equally accomplishes it. So at that juncture, Cheshkairach, Maduatus Nasu, why are you greater? With what way are you bigger? Iker is Maitzah. We're not looking at the Neshamas. We're not looking at souls here. We're looking at the actual down-to-earth nitty-gritty. It has to be done. Who gets the work done? Whoever gets the work done does the same result as anyone else. For that, Moshe says to him, Beker v'yeda Hashem. Let's wait till the morning, and God will let know. What is the idea of a mitzvah? As we said before, Ktsat er har To bring light in the world, to drive away the darkness. So when you're lacking with your intentions, of doing mitzvahs. When you're doing a mitzvah, but you're not doing it with all the proper intentions that need to be done, it's not only that your mitzvah is not going to affect the world, it's not going to light up the world. It could even give strength to the darkness. And Kairach was a living proof. There are times a person does a mitzvah and it causes the person to become hoary. He becomes a bagaiva, he gets egotistical. Look what I did. 
And he gets so much so that he's doing the mitzvahs only to deceive other people. If you keep me score at home, Mr. Shabbos Memtesam at Aleph, 49 side 1 is a tasteless. The Amasal Kalisha. It's all Aisin, Shaisin, Machmas, Merid. They do it just to fool, to deceive. This is what Mesha answers him. Yes, you are correct that this is the main point of the thing is to do the mitzvah. But your mitzvah needs to cause a baker. Needs to cause a sunrise that could bring light in the world. And this is only done if you do it with the proper intentions. And therefore you can't say, Maduat is not so al Hashem. In what way are you lifted? What way are you exalted? Because in doing mitzvahs there's a maila. There's a great maila to Meshe Rabbeinu. By Meshe Rabbeinu's understanding of a mitzvah, he lightens up the world so much more. I've told the story many times of the Badichavah. The Helig of Adichiv, Rabbi Yitzchak learned to shech chicken, to slaughter a chicken. He wanted to become a ritual slaughterer, wanted to slaughter his own chickens. Needless to say, we make a bracha before we shech. Blessings made, halashchita. And he knew and learned and studied and became one with all the intentions of the bracha. And before you shech the chicken, you just don't swing at the chicken. Chicken has to be held. Depends which camp you learn this the trick of the trade in. Whether you hold the chicken against you or you hold the chicken away from you. But the main point is that there's a tfisa that needs to be made. The head of the chicken is brought back so the neck becomes exposed. And then the shkita, the brach is made and the shkita is done. No. Rabbi Yitzchak took the chicken the first time he's going to shecht. And he already learned, obviously, because now he's going to do it with a bracha. And he grabbed, grabbed the chicken by the wings and he brought back the neck. And he started with all the kavanas and all the proper intentions and he got with total rapture. He was so involved in the bracha. It's just a lofty way. Until he finished the bracha, the chicken ran away. And he opened his eyes and says, huh, where's the chicken? This story was told by the Rebbe Rashab, where he was, decide- he was delivering a maimah. He was saying a maimah. Chazring a maimah. And they didn't have microphones. Chassidim clamored to hear every word. Table of the Rebbe was not as strong or firm as it used to be or should have been. And the Chassidim clamoring, leaning on the table physically and one on top of the other, not noticing how much weight they put on the table. And the table collapsed. But the Rebbe, as he said, the Maimah, recited the Maimah, was in a different world. And there's no note, no note as to what was going on around him physically. And the chassid in the meantime took out all the broken pieces of the table 
When the Rebbe finished the Maim and opened his eyes, there was no table. So he told the story about the chicken and says, where's the table? He too was elsewhere while the table disappeared. Kerach didn't think he was doing the wrong thing. Kerach thought he was on the right path. He had the right track. You know, today's days it says, you know, the right track, wrong train. The Goyland got on a plane and sat down in first class. But he didn't belong in first class. He bought a coach ticket. He's sitting in first class. He saw the seat he sat down. So the people walked over to him, the stewards, give me a cup of cold water, please. And said to him, excuse me, sir, this is a first class. You don't have a first class ticket. So I'm sitting here. Let me alone. No, no, sir, you can't. This is someone else's seat. You can't just sit here. And he insisted he's sitting here. There was a rabbi walking by. And he saw the dilemma. That the um, stewards, the stewardesses were going through, even the captain and the pilot. And he went over to the man, the Goylem. And he says to the silly man, to the fool, he whispers in his ear something. The man quickly looks around, his eyes opened up. He looks around and he says, Oi! He jumps up and he runs to the back to the coach. He gets in his own seat. And they ask, afterwards, the rabbi, <laughs> we tried, we congealed, we begged, we pleaded, we threatened, and there was no movement. How did you get him to move? <laughs> I told him, Rabbi, where are you going? says, we're going to Florida. You're going to Florida, Miami Beach? He says, yeah. He says, Rabbi, this seat that you're sitting in doesn't go to Florida, it goes to Los Angeles. So he said, and he got up and he went to the seats from Florida. Kayak thought. The next of the came through Maskem. There it tells us later in the Pasha. The Trumas that one needs to think about. The next of the came through Maskem, we should think about our Trumas. From this Pasha, we learn a very special thing that knowing and thought of a person can cause and have an effect on something on the outside. The Rambam writes, He thought about separating Truma, didn't say anything though, no verbal commitment, Truma becomes Truma. Shenemach, it says in the passage, V'nechshav l'chem trumaschem, 
that just thinking about your truma, just by thought alone, it becomes truma. This is a very powerful lesson to what our thoughts are worth. Both ways. Obviously to the good, and God forbid the opposite. How much one needs to keep their thoughts clean and perfect. In addition to the severity One's thoughts that are not pure, it's not only their own, it's what they do around them. Umeruba mida teva mimidas puranis. And of course, the mida teva, the good, is better than, and there's so much more than the wicked, than the painful, and the punishment. From here we learn the greatness that one needs to have with machshava teva. To think good things about others. Not only doing and going out and helping people or talking about helping people, but even thinking about helping people is a great thing. And by just thinking a good thing for another person, the Gemara, if you're keeping score at home, Kedushin Daf Memam at Aleph 40 side 1 says, a good thought, the Almighty sees to it, comes into fruition. And sees to it that this thought, that the person actually wanted to help out another person, comes into fruition. Without thinking about situation, etc., There's a fellow, an Israeli fellow, very, very secular fellow, who rose up from nothing to rag to riches. Unfortunately, his battle cry was, I did this. I am a self-made man. I brought myself from rag to riches. And he lived that way. And things were going very well for him. And there was investment upon investment upon investment and everything was just making money on top of money. It was in Israel, don't worry. IRS is not affected. Fists rules of money. A building was going up, a 49-story building in Tel Aviv. He was offered a tremendous deal to buy the entire top floor. Needless to say, most of the money he had, cash, liquid, shall we say, and whatever he would need to make up, there was no problem. His credit was fantastic. He'd be able to take it and get it and borrow it and 
He would put it together with no time, in no time. And the day the deal was to go through, his very close friend came along and said, Are you crazy? Do you realize that with the money that you're investing in this one solitary floor of this upper part of this tremendous building, as great as it is, in the center of Tel Aviv, you could buy 10 buildings in Hungary today? Not apartments, buildings in Hungary. Right now in Hungary there's tremendous economic problems and that buildings are available for dirt cheap. You can buy these buildings now for that amount of money, you could buy 10 buildings and within 2-3 years you'd be turning profits. Well, the friend was very convincing. And the story sounded great. And he followed his instinct. And whenever he put his hands to it, everything he touched turned to gold. How could this not too? He was spared, actually. By making this investment... He was spared from the minimal, sorry, the minimal profit that he would have turned by doing this. And so he made his investment, he put his money in the buildings in Hungary, and within a few short months, he had lost everything. Khmanalatsan, he was a pauper, he was reduced to poverty. Not only reduced to poverty, but even worse than that, He owed money now. He owed money, he was tremendous debt. And the debt was not just debt. Even the Israeli Revenue Service was owed money. Well, he sold his house, Nabuch. And he put together what he could, where he could, when he could. But he was still short 17,000 shekel that he needed to pay the revenue service. His doors, all doors were closed to him, all windows were closed to him. Nobody from the olden days was ready to talk to him anymore. They all felt that he was a loser. He was broke now. He was he owed so much money on the street. Nobody took his calls. As devastating as this all was, he was pretty much in a dismal loss. 
But he said to himself, I will rebound. I did it before, I'll do it again, I will make the money that I had before, and then some. I will overcome this poverty. And lo and behold, the break that he was waiting for, phone call comes, he says to him, hey, I know that you're in trouble, I know things are sour for you, What's the situation? What's the most dire thing that you're into now? And he tells his friend that needs the 17,000 shekel to pay the revenue service. Masach Friend says, you know what? Come to my office, I'll give it to you. And he goes to the office, which is no more, no less on that very floor that he was meant to buy. And he comes up to the fellow's office and the man hands him the 17,000 shekel in cash. And he takes this bundle of cash and he starts to walk down the hall. And he's listening to the soft music being played in the hall and thinking, reminiscing to himself how this all could have or should have been his. What's become of me? I'll get back. I'll rebound. I'll get back my money. I am the self-made man. And lo and behold, he sees few short steps leading to a door he says what's this door and he goes up the steps and he sees it leads to a rooftop and he steps out through the door to the rooftop and he starts to look around what a magnificent view what a magnificent sight And he's standing there enjoying the view when suddenly the door slams shut. He runs back and says, He can't open the door. And he's standing, banging, screaming, yelling, and he's getting pretty desperate. Suddenly, he gets a brilliant brainstorm. He goes to the edge of the roof and starts screaming down to the people. He's 49 flights up. Brainstorm, a hidden brainstorm ahead, nobody hears him. Then he says, wait, I'll catch their attention. He takes a 200 shekel note, throws it off the roof. Figures someone will see money falling from the sky. They'll look up. Well, the note made it safely to the ground. 
I don't think it broke anything even. Someone walking by saw money on the ground, picked it up and walked off. Decided maybe one didn't make it down. Threw a few more. I figured they'll see it floating, but it didn't. They hit the ground, people kept grabbing and running, looking for more. He finally threw the whole thing, everything that he had. And again, no result. Again, now it's starting to get chilly. Sun is setting. He's on the roof, 49 flies. Nothing to protect him from the element. He's panicking. And he looks around. And he sees, <laughs> out of nowhere, a bag of pebbles, stones. He says, huh? Let's see if this works. Excuse me, before he sees that, he was in total despair. And he looked up heavenward. And he said, God, I know I was wrong. I know I was very wrong. I realize now, everything comes from you. And my Holiness, my gaiva, was wrong. And as he said this, he suddenly notices this bag of pebbles, which were not there before. And he takes a handful of pebbles, and he tosses them over the port, over the end. Well, that got everybody's attention. Because only a short few minutes later, half the police force was up there, putting cuffs on him. Kidding, you're going to kill somebody like that, Michigan. Anyway, he took him into the station, and he was able to, after a few days, convince them, explain to them what happened to him, that he was locked up on the porch, and the story with the 17,000 shekel, etc. I don't know if he got away with that if he got that compensated, if the revenue service forgave it or not. But, um, he realized it's not all about him, it's all about God, and that his decisions were mistakes, and that life needed to take a drastic change quickly, and that he did. And he became a total Balchuva. We see therefore that our decisions need to understand, we need to remember everything comes from and through Hashem. Pasuk 
Vayemer el Hashem, he says to God, I'll take from them Do not turn to their sacrifice. Don't even think of accepting it. And as she says, Lefibshutai. Simple. Hakteres shehem makrivim lefanachat hakteres today I bring before you. Mokar tomorrow. I'll take from them. Don't turn to them. Don't even don't even give them credence. All the commentaries jump on Rashi. Gurariye Hilmeisha, Davikteiv, many more. What was Moshe thinking? How did Moshe think that God would give credence to this sacrifice? The sacrifices of, of Kedach, the wicked revolutionary, <coughs> with his whole congregation. Why did he imagine God was going to accept this? So much so that he had to pray don't turn in that direction. And we could perhaps say that the answer is Rashi's question, what was bothering Rashi? We see in his very wording. He writes, The frankincense which they are going to bring tomorrow don't turn to them. To them, obviously, not making reference to Kairach, but rather to the frankincense. If that were the case, it should say, Altafin Aleho. Don't turn to it. Don't turn to the Ketanis. Especially when the, the, the request was, Don't turn to the Mincha. So we see clearly, Rashi should not be saying or making reference to Kedach, but rather to the actual Mincha, the way the Pasuk says it. But Rashi is answering a certain question by changing the wording. On first glance, the reason for the frankincense, the bringing of this frankincense, was to clarify that Aaron is the Holy One. Since there's only one Cain Godel, only he could bring he could bring the frankincense, no one else. So we find, therefore, that these frankincense of others is known as Ketanis Zorah. Estranged. And we know, of course, that a stranger that brings Ketanis needs to be put to death. So all those that were bringing Ketanis now, that were not Kehanim Ketanim, were not Aaron Akayin, they were punishable by death. But the fact they came out alive, 
that Aaron came out alive is because God chose him. So therefore the punishment obviously is those who didn't, who were not chosen. So when Rashi uses the words, don't turn to them, he's actually explaining Moshe's request. When Moshe says, don't turn to those people that are bringing this. Moshe was not making reference to the actual frankincense, but to the person doing it. He asked that they be punished. Not for bringing Ezzara, for bringing a strange flame. Don't look at them at all. Don't punish them. Leave them alone. Let them die their own sins. They're revolutionaries. They're going against the fact that Moshe was the leader and out in the King Godel. So for the fact of the revolution, they have to die. But not because they're bringing the frankincense brought by somebody that's not a Kayin. And therefore it's a simple explanation. The fact that Moshe needed to ask, his, not, his intention was they should not accept, God forbid, their sacrifice. Of course it wasn't accepted. But don't turn to them at all. Don't give them any credence. Don't let it see, let it seem that they're being punished because they brought dictators they were not allowed to. They need to be punished. Everyone needs to know, needs to know that they're being punished because they're going against God and His and His messengers. We find the commandment of the Ketedus, of the bringing of Ketedus, of Aaron, we find two different commandments. And we find that it was twice actually. Once, Meisha says, This is what you should do, you should bring the pans, put upon it fire, frankincense, before God tomorrow. A second time, as we just explained, where he says, don't turn to them. Again, he says, only you and Aaron, so we find there, for the first time, he said only, and they should give, and they should place, whereas the second time, he says the commandment, he brings. He talks about bringing it forth. Because the first time he doesn't mention Aaron and the commandment to bring the Ketedus, whereas the second time he does. Why? Perhaps we could say because the first time it was not necessary to tell us that this was the, the concept of bringing Ketedus. It's simple. Because after the fact of then we could think that through this request, Meisha caused that it should not be considered Ketedus at all, like the Meisha of Ketedus. Therefore, he needs to say the Pesach, that even so, here the Meisha Ketedus of bringing the Ketedus, of bringing it before God, and therefore the second time, he brings down that also Aaron brought the Ketedus. 
because he's telling us what is the boundaries of bringing the Ketedas, how it's com- only the Kahanim did it. And therefore we must say that the, the, the Akhtara was in a way of bringing Ketedas, it was explained afterwards where the pans in which they were bringing the Ketedas were made holy, and they would say that it's not Akhtarasam, even in a gather of Ketedas Zara, then how would we actually be able to bring the pans? May we merit this Shabbos Gimel Tammuz to see the true redemption. As we see, we were blessed today, this week of Kasivan, of the Rebbe arriving once in America previously, and so too the revelation of Mashiach Tzidkenu arriving throughout the world, in the, in the world, revealing himself to the world and gathering the entire Jewish nation to Yerushalayim Irakadesh this very Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom to all.